The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, the Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're heading off to Ecuador today, where we find ASX companies, both big and small, talking at the big end of town, uh, the uh, BHPs, Newcrest, Fortescue's, and a bunch of juniors too. Uh, Sunstone Metals is one that comes to mind. Today we're catching up with Titan Minerals, which uh, has an interesting project down south in southern Ecuador. The code is TTM trading at 4.4 cents for a market cap of $62 million. Now, it's already got a nice uh, resource under its belt, but uh, there's a feeling with this one that there's more to come. And to bring us up to speed on just what's going on, in southern Ecuador, we have Melanie Layton, the CEO, with us today. G'day, Melanie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Barry. It's it's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Melanie, been uh, watching this one for a while, and I guess the big news in recent times has been the declaration of a uh, maiden resource at the the Cerro Verde uh, prospect, which is part of a, the broader dynasty uh, project, which is in itself is sort of a nine-kilometer vein corridor, epithermal vein corridor. So, talk a bit about the uh, the change of having such a well. I'll let you talk to the actual resource, but it's uh, a bit of a game changer for the company. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, thanks, Barry. Really pleased with the result. Um, back in July, uh, we put out a jaw-compliant resource, which is a maiden jaw-compliant resource for the Dynasty Gold Project. And as you said, it's a nine-kilometre epithermal vein corridor um, at our Dynasty Project in southern Ecuador. I guess it was a culmination of a really large body of work, um, multiple work streams that fed into that. So 60-odd thousand, 63,000 metres worth of drilling, um, geological studies and interpretation, um, modelling and the like. And it's the first, um, I guess, JORT compliant resource that's ever been published for the project um, and a significant upgrade from the previous resource and, and represents a real line milestone for the company and a significant de-risking. So, yeah, look, the resource now sits at 3.12 million ounces of contained gold, um, almost 22 million ounces of contained silver. That mineralisation actually extends from surface, it outcrops at surface. And most of the resource, more than half, sits within um, 100 metres from the surface as well. So a very shallow, um, open pitable resource um, and certainly, like I said, a very substantial uh, milestone and foundation for us to build upon. The resource is open both laterally um, and also at depth. Uh, significant potential to grow the resource um, and also to upgrade the classification with, we believe, a moderate amount of drilling. Um, and I guess our recent work, we did some drilling there earlier this year and at the Cerro Verde Prospect, which you mentioned earlier, which is at the southwestern end of that nine-kilometre corridor, we've now identified mineralisation down to about 350 metres um, depth down there and it's still open at depth also. Uh, but most of the, the rest of the nine-kilometre bay corridor has only been drilled to about 150, 200 metres and quite sparsely um, in some areas. So it suggests to us that there's significant potential to add resources at depth along the inline nine-kilometre bay corridor. Um, and our recent work in terms of reconnaissance mapping, rock chip sampling, surface soil chemistry uh, shows us that the, the footprint of the epithermal corridor that we've drilled so far 
has been expanded significantly as well. So we've identified a lot of new expansion, uh, you know, resource growth targets as well that, uh, you know, we'll be commencing drilling in less than a week, actually. Um, so we're looking forward to getting started on that. So we're all about resource growth um, at the project. And we believe, you know, currently sitting at 3.1 million ounces of gold, we believe that we could, um, we would like to be doubling that resource. Uh, and that's what we're targeting at Dynasty over the coming, um, I guess, couple of years, one, one to two years. Okay. So you've given us a feel there for what you consider critical mess to be. So around 6 million ounces and uh, you'll have a project on your hands, you think? Yeah, look, I, I think the development studies haven't yet kicked off, but I'd be like, I'd like to start some of those, um, you know, those, I guess, those de-risking studies um, when it comes to metallurgy, infrastructure layout, right sizing, um, you know, those mine optimization studies. So we did do some preliminary optimization as part of the resource, and it did show that, you know, open pits wanted to optimize um, down and take pretty much all of the material that we'd, um, you know, identified and and um, estimated as part of the resource. So. We think the economics are actually quite robust for the project, um, but I think as a standalone, you know, critical mass, we'd be targeting that, you know, that five million ounce uh, mark. I think. Well, the nice things being epithermal, the grade's quite good. Can you talk a bit about the grade? Yeah, look, there's a there's a combination of grades. I mean, it's a nine kilometre corridor, so we, what we found in the southwestern corridor is we feel that we're a little bit lower in the epithermal system. So the grades are, I guess, a little bit lower, but. Um, the widths are comparatively quite wide and we, we feel that we're sitting closer to the porphyry source at the southwestern Cerro Verde end. And so we're seeing, um, you know, I guess better widths in terms of uh, mineralisation and commensurately slightly lower grades. So we're looking at it circa sort of two grams gold down that end of the project. The northeastern end of the project represents a real opportunity for us. We feel that we're higher up in the system uh, we're seeing much higher gold um, values, sort of circa four, five, six grams in that area. Um, and so that's a focus for us. And there's been a relatively small amount of work and drilling done in that northeastern part of the project, and that's the, the Papayel and Trapachio prospects. So from our perspective, uh, you know, we're certainly all about targeting those um, high margin ounces, so those, you know, low tonnage but high grade, um, you know, parts of the project. So, so that's a focus for us. And our geologists have certainly been on the ground, extending our mapping um, and rock chip sampling in those areas, and certainly some very good results which we put out um, last week, which are confirming that the footprint um, and the vein system is, you know, much more extensive than what we have, um, you know, published in the results. So, big area for growth there for us, and hopefully that we'll be able to add uh, more high grade ounces in that part of the project also. Now you mentioned the um, the uh, porphyry uh, potential at uh, greater depths. Are you tempted at all at this stage to poke in a few holes or is the focus remaining very much on the epithermal as a near-term development opportunity? Yeah, look, I think the epithermal for us is the nearer term, um, you know, higher margin part of the project for us and I guess would represent the front end. The porphyry still does represent a big opportunity for us and we did test the Calaman porphyry, which sits at the southwest, the Cerro Verde part of the project, um, so we did test that earlier this year and we did find porphyry mineralization um, and it actually has quite a bit of overprinting in terms of epithermal gold mineralization in the shallower components of that porphyry. So it's definitely there. We haven't found the scale to be the scale that we would like to see in a porphyry at this stage. So we're hesitant to drill too many holes into the Calaman porphyry at this stage until we really understand it. So, yeah, certainly the focus for us is about growing the um, the gold resources at Dynasty and that epithermal component. But, yeah, I think certainly at some stage we would like to test 
uh, the deeper porphyry component across the nine kilometre um, project because, yeah, there definitely is evidence for porphyry mineralisation there. Um, it's just about working out what depth it might be and what kind of grades it might be containing. So it's certainly something to be tested, but not a focus for us right now. So with the epithermal, that will be open cut and with some uh, potential to uh, chase it in an underground operation eventually? Yeah, for sure. Um, like I said, it, it extends from surface to mineralisation and the grades are really quite good. So there's no pre-strip there in that in that regard. Um, and also topographically, you know, there's there's a reasonable amount of relief um, at the project. So it ranges from about, I guess, 800 to 1,400 metres elevation. And what we found is actually most of the mineralisation is sitting on the crests of those hills. So it actually significantly uh, reduces, I guess, the strip ratio um, in a scenario like this. So the optimization did tell us that about 0.5 grams per tonne gold was, was a suitable cutoff for the open pit um, component, which looks to want to go down to about 250, 300 metres vertical. Um, and then below that, um, and obviously depending on which part of the um, ore body we're looking at, so we're looking at about a 1.5 or 2 gram cutoff um, for an underground scenario for this project. Um, so they're, they're the kind of economics and the metrics that we're looking at um, when we're targeting the resource growth. Touch on the topography there. I was just wondering, can you get a, paint a picture for us about the location of the project? Are there nearby towns or cities or infrastructure? It's, uh, what part of southern Chile, uh, Ecuador are you in? Well, yeah, that's right. So we're, we're in the south of Ecuador. We're not far from the border of Peru. Um, you know, topographically, we're certainly not up in the high Andes. We're more, I guess, in the coastal range. Um, so, yeah, those elevations are fairly um, moderate. Um, certainly, uh, explorability is high. We've got good exposure. We've good, got good access to the projects. Ecuador is actually really quite infrastructure rich. Um, it's well, um, well resourced in terms of, um, you know, power, hydropower, uh, Pan American Highway runs alongside our projects, um, the Dix project and the Copper Duke project. So we've got good access there. Uh, there's an airport, I guess, less than a two-hour drive, a regional airport there with daily flights to um, Quito. Um, so, yeah, certainly very good access and infrastructure in place. And then at our projects as well, we've got really well-maintained, um, sealed, not sealed, sorry, but well-maintained gravel um, access tracks. So we've got good access within our projects as well as to our projects. So certainly very, um, very good for exploration purposes. And then in terms of, um, I guess, environment and, uh, and climate, um, you know, we, we can operate year-round there. There's a very small wet season uh, sort of from March through to May where they experience slightly higher rainfall, but that certainly doesn't stop our exploration activities. So, yep, operating year-round for us. And how do you deal with the, the challenge, I guess, of being a Perth-based company with a project in Latin America? It's a journey of distance. Yeah, look, I don't actually see it as a challenge. Um, you know, we've got a really capable team in place um, on the ground there in Ecuador. We've got a, a really strong management team. And, you know, my own experience, um, previously I worked for, for Hot Chile, another ASX-listed company developing projects not in Ecuador but in Chile, so South America. Um, so I guess I'm used to that time difference and it actually in some regards represents an opportunity. You're sort of running a business that that uh, operates 24 hours a day in effect. So, you know, I can be working on things at this end, um, you know, and the directors and, and I at this end uh, during our day and then in our evening, you know, they're operating in Ecuador. So there's a 13-hour time difference, but it's not prohibitive. Um, we still have a very high level of, uh, you know, communication. And, yeah, like I said, the management team on the ground there are, 
are certainly um, doing an excellent job and, and we're well, um, I guess, resourced in that area too. So no, I don't, I don't see it as a hurdle for us. Now, I mentioned at the start that uh, both big and small ASX listed companies have, have headed off to uh, Ecuador. What, uh, what's occurred there that has made it an attractive uh, hunting ground for explorers? Ecuador largely in the last, I, I would say, five to ten years has become a really attractive investment or for, you know, jurisdiction and, and it's an emerging mining jurisdiction and as you mentioned at the start of the podcast there's a number of majors that have started to move into Ecuador and you know BHP, Newcrest, now Newmont, you know we've got Sol Gold who are developing the Cascabel project in the north of Ecuador and then outside of the majors in terms of mining um, you know we're seeing a lot of the royalty groups that are starting to make significant investments into Ecuador you know so Back in May, um, Wheat and Precious invested $300 million in a, a gold stream for the Cangrios project, and that project's about 100 kilometres north of our dynasty project. So significant, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of investment have been made into Ecuador over the last, uh, I would say billions of dollars over the last five to ten years. Um, and I guess one of the real pin-up com- companies is, is Lundin Gold and their Fruta del Norte operation. Um, you know, so they started producing, I think, back in 2020, um, and, you know, Ecuador's mining exports are now, uh, I think in 2022, they were $2.7 billion um, came back into Ecuador through its mining um, exports. And that's largely due to the Fruta del Norte and the Mirador mines coming online. So I think, you know, Ecuador largely sees mining as a, a big part of their future um, and a big part of their economic re- revitalization. So the government is, um, is certainly very supportive of that. And they've got you know, the lowest effective tax rates and farmers fastest permitting um, approval times in, in Latin America. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very good jurisdiction for us to be operating in. I was just, uh, you mentioned, uh, was it Iron Duke? Iron Duke or Copper Duke? Oh, Copper Duke, yes. Copper Duke, Copper Duke. I remember uh, reporting on that one a while back. What's the situation there? Is that uh, just being parked up at the moment? Well, no. Look, I guess our focus and, and the the bulk of our spend is at Dynasty and it's about growing that resource. Um, and, you know, it is our flagship project and it's probably where, you know, most of the investment has been made to date. Um, I, from our perspective, though, the Copper Duke and the Lindieros projects both represent, you know, large-scale porphyry opportunity there. So Copper Duke is a, has got a seven-kilometre porphyry alteration footprint that's been highlighted by magnetic, soil geochemistry, um, you know, trenching and now more recently surface mapping as well. So it's very much confirmed the presence of a big system there. And we do um, have a geology team that continues to work and improve the geological understanding. So we're we're doing, we're undertaking relatively low cost, but, you know, high value add exploration um, across Copper Duke and Linderos at this point in time. Uh, certainly we're looking to um, secure and, uh, and quite, are in quite advanced discussions uh, with a project partner or, uh, you know, a partner for uh, developing, uh, exploring and developing the Copper Duke and the uh, Linderos project. So, no, work continues there. Um, it's just that we're not spending a huge amount of money on those projects, but certainly continuing to improve our understanding there. No surprise, then. The, uh, the world is short of uh, copper targets. Um, so the fact that um, there's some interest, incoming interest uh, fits nicely, particularly in the, uh, given the size potential of the, uh, the prospect there. Yeah, that's right. No, I, I agree. There is certainly a lot of interest in in the copper, um, and we have conducted a number of um, you know site visits at 
at the Copper Duke and Linderos projects in recent months. Um, and there's, there's certainly a lot of interest there. Um, and the majors are obviously looking to um, invest in new jurisdictions where they haven't been before. And that's that's about filling that future demand for, for copper and the, the, the deficit that is um, that's forecast. So, yeah, it, I've got no doubt that um, drilling will be done at these projects and um, we'll, we'll be able to unveil what the, the real value is there. Now, Melanie, at the start, I forgot to mention that you're a relative newcomer to the company, but not the project. Can you give us an explanation of that? Oh, um, okay. Relatively newcomer to the company. So I joined um, in January this year as a CEO, and that was after consulting to um, Titan Minerals last year. So for about nine months last year, I was um, working as a corporate geologist, I think is the title that they gave me. And it was really around bridging that gap between you know, the technical team on site um, and the directors here in the Perth office and obviously to the ASX and, and the shareholders in, and investors. So, yeah, I'd, I'd had a chance um, last year to really take a look at all of the, the projects in terms of the technical merit and uh, certainly um, have some insights into the technical capability of the team. Um, and, I, you know, I was actually really impressed um, with the work that's being done there. You know, we're doing things like a, a major would do them in terms of the standard of the, the exploration and the types of data that we're collecting. It's really systematic, you know, high-quality exploration that's being undertaken. Um, so it's quite unusual for a junior company to be operate, operating that way. But, you know, it's largely a credit, like I said, to the management team that's been set up in country. Um, and, you know, we had Mike Skeed. Um, he's our chief technical advisor, and he was very much um, at the fore of I guess, setting up the team and all of the systems in country. Um, so for me to take on that role as CEO in January this year, I had a real level of comfort with the, the company and what we were doing um, and the projects and, and, of course, the board as well. Um, I've worked with, well, Peter Cook many, many years ago. Um, so there was definitely a level of comfort there uh, for myself to step into that role. And, yeah, um, I think it's been very exciting and I'm, I'm very excited about the projects and, and what we can do there. Now, a bit of a, a Dorothy Dixup, if um, you had 3.1 million ounces of that sort of growth in Outback WA, I would suggest the market cap would be a multiple of what it is now. What do you think it's going to take to for the market cap to uh, reflect the upside at Dynasty? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, look, I feel like all of the junior um, exploration market, particularly in the gold sector, has been um, pretty beaten up. <laughs> most of them have halved in value since the start of the year and you know we're no exception to that um yeah look I think it's I think to get that endorsement from a partner uh whether it be project level or head co level uh, I think that would be well received by by our shareholders and and I think that certainly is a focus for us is you know, these types of projects generally aren't developed by a junior exploration company and uh, maybe people doubt that we can do it so I, I think that would probably go a long way. But as far as I'm concerned, it's about getting on with um, the work and proving the resources and, and proving the economics of the project. And uh, unfortunately, like the market cap isn't reflecting that at the moment, but um, hopefully with um, the resource growth and the de-risking along the way, uh, we will get an uptick in the share price. Push it along the uh, value chain. Uh, good stuff. You mentioned uh, you. Uh, drilling rig is rolling up. Uh, so what can we expect uh, in terms of news flow from this drilling campaign? Yeah, so the drilling largely is, um, like I mentioned earlier, it's all about resource growth and it's all about identifying what this project could be. 
in terms of scale. Um, so, so that's largely what we're targeting: resource growth. Um, we're targeting high margin ounces, um, and just demonstrating, yeah, what it potentially could be. So, and and certainly um, from now until the rest of the year, that's that's certainly what we're going to be targeting at Dynasty. So, we see, I see some good results to come. And off the back of that, a potential resource upgrade early in the new year. So that's largely what we're targeting there. And finally, I think there was a, uh, a placement in August, so uh, funded for 18 months, two years more or less. Uh, look, I I don't know if the funding would last us that long at the rate that we're drilling at um, and with what we want to do. Um, but certainly we're well funded at this point in time to continue with our exploration activities into the new year. Um, yeah, so I think that that... Um, it's uh, about getting on with the work and, and like I said, demonstrating the value um, and I'm sure that the uh, the shareholders will be um, very pleased with that. Yep. The funds always come in on the back of the good exploration results. And, and gold, who knows what gold's going to do? It's still very strong there at, um, what, $1,900 an ounce. And I've been taking a lot of calls in recent days asking me what's going on in China. Apparently the Chinese gold price, I didn't really know there was a difference, is... Uh, taken off and left the US gold price behind. So that's one to watch. Yeah, well, you've told me something new there because I didn't realise they had a different gold price either. <laughs> so I have to do some investigation into that. Alrighty, Melody, uh, great story. Uh, we'll be watching with interest and um, all the best with it. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Barry. Thanks. Bye. Bye.